You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is an Australian freelance writer, blogger, and author with more than 20 years professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 35 of So You Want to Be a Writer. I am here with Alison Tate, who only last week released her fabulous book, The Mapmaker Chronicles. How are you, Alison? Have you recovered from your launch? Um, I think I've only just recovered from my launch several days after my launch. I had a fantastic day at my local library on Saturday with kids and craft and cake, amazing cake. I'm going to put a picture of the map cake that a friend of mine made for me up on the, yeah, I'll put it in the show notes because it was awesome and it was chocolate because there's no other kind of cake as far as I'm concerned. So yeah, I've had a fantastic time and the book has been amazingly well received and I, how's this? A friend of mine sent me a picture yesterday um, of the window of Better Red Than Dead uh, bookshop in Newtown, which is one of my favourite bookshops in the whole world, and I am in the window. I have oh, the window wow. of that bookshop. And um, I was so excited. I, I tweeted them to thank them. So, um, yeah, so if anybody sees the, a window or a book or anything, please tweet it to me, Facebook it to me. I can't tell you what a thrill it is. <laughs> How exciting. I know. Listen to me. I'm like a five-year-old. Okay. And you? (laughs) What about you? Oh, well, I've had quite a different uh, weekend. I didn't have a book launch. Oh, really? (laughs) I think everyone should have a book launch every weekend. Exactly. It's very fun. I kind of rediscovered Sydney a little bit because, as you know, I've been spending a lot of time in Victoria and in Melbourne. And this weekend, or the weekend that just happened, I went to the art gallery. I had breakfast on Crown Street. I, you know, went into the Botanic Gardens. Wow. and Yeah, was sort of played tourist for a bit. And, um, and it was lovely. It was great. Um, and I also had a little bit of my, my dose of... Um, gadget shopping and I bought myself a pebble watch. Oh. Are you I did, familiar I did, with the pebble no, watch? No, I'm not, but I did <laughs> I saw the picture on Facebook and I thought, "Oh, look, Belle's got a new toy because yes. I know how much you do love a little tech toy." Yes. So talk me through it. What is a pebble watch? Well, you see, I, it was 15% off at Move in um oh, Macquarie Center, I think. And um uh, the Pebble Watch, well, it's been out for a couple of years now, but, you know, it's 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 got to a stage where a lot of the bugs have been ironed out because it was originally a Kickstarter project where right. it's kind of like you could be almost like Dick Tracy, but not quite, um, Where and it syncs with your phone. So, you know how some – there's a number of things that um, could be useful about it. You know how sometimes you just don't hear your phone because it's in your handbag? Mm-hmm. Well, your watch vibrates. <laughs> when when your phone rings or when someone sends you an SMS or if you want, you can program it to alert you when you have Facebook messages or emails. You don't have to have those. You can turn those off. Um, and then you can read your emails on your watch and you can read your SMS on your watch. And you can also control the volume of your phone. You know, maybe you're in the car and you don't want to reach for your phone because, you know, you're not meant to touch your phone, but you can c- control the volume through your watch. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't know how I've lived without one of those, Sal. <laughs> I don't know how I lived after one day with it. Oh, it counts your steps as well. So that's oh, my see? other thing. Multi-purpose. Exactly. It, um, so when it vibrates, like, does it give you a heart attack every time? Oh uh, no, it's a very subtle vibration. <laughs> so it's um, it's uh, it, it works really well. I and think. you have, I know. Um, so do you have yours set for email and Facebook and everything as well? At the moment, I do, and I'm programmed it so it only gets emails every half an hour. But I may turn that off. Oh, I was going to say because you yours would just be vibrating all day. Exactly. You'd be walking around with a like little up your arm every exactly, five minutes. Exactly, exactly, and that might not be good. So that's not going to work. I'm, as time goes on, I'm going to you know refine it because you can change all sorts of things on it. And um, anyway, I don't know why we're going about the Pebble Watch on a podcast about writing, but so maybe we should move on. Let's move on. What have you got for us? From the world of reading, writing and blogging this week, Val? Well, I found an interesting link. Uh, It's about celebrities that are joining the rush of authors writing children's books. So, Alison, you've got some competition here because, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you've got people like Jay Leno and um, uh, Keith Richards, John Lithgow, Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, a whole bunch of people, celebrities who uh, are now releasing children's books and um, are doing very well. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that because, you know, these celebrities, their usual vocation is, you know, to go and win Oscars and to star in blockbuster movies and that sort of thing. But now they're turning their hand to children's books because it is a fairly lucrative market because, you know, we, we think nothing of spending a lot of money on our children. In fact, we, we think less of that. than We're more likely to do that than spend money on ourselves. Don't you agree? Uh, yes, I do agree with that. I think that that's something that, um, like, I, I know for a fact that I will buy my children a book um, before I will buy myself one Like uh, because I'm trying to encourage them. I think there's that mm. aspect to it. There's that whole thing of, like, Oh, just keep reading. Let me throw as many books at you as I can possibly can because I want you to keep reading. Because it's particularly with boys, I've got two boys. Um, so if you find something they like, so you know what, I'm all for it in in many ways. I mean, like Keith Richards, I I remember we talked about his book earlier this year. Um, he's written a picture book, I think, with his daughter called Gus yes. and Me. Like I'm I'm actually quite interested to see what Keith Richards would come up with in a picture book. I'll have a look at it. Whether I buy it or not, will all come down to whether or not I think the book is actually. Um, something I want in my life Mm. but I I think look it's like anything a a name is going to attract you isn't it so you you might want to see what their creative output is in other areas like Jay Leno is funny I I mean I would have a look to see what he's written because if he's funny for adults is he funny for kids it doesn't always work you know it's sometimes it it Mm. doesn't work but generally speaking like if you're creative then you're probably going to want to try different things I, I think that's something that you know we don't like a lot of these people are incredibly creative souls and why do we have to pigeonhole them into one area? I'm more than happy to have a look and, you know and what? make my decision based on that. I have to say you are the prime example of, of exactly that in that you are a multi-genre author. Uh, not a multi-genre writer. Yes. So you write, you not only write children's books, but also, you know, adult fiction, but also um, magazine articles, yep. online things, co- corporate writing, yep. custom publishing, non-fiction um, books on credit cards and yep. careers. And so, yeah, uh, you're, you're absolutely right, you know. And I'm, I'm going to branch out into acting any minute now yeah. and I'll be expecting <laughs> my Oscar at the end of next year, right? 
So keep an eye out for me, people. <laughs> Wonderful. So the next link I thought was really interesting. I think um, many people will be familiar with the very popular blog <clears throat> called Copy Blogger. It's been around forever and it's considered one of the, you know, industry leaders in blogging. And they've also been at the forefront in social media and bi- and business um, and, and, and the whole blogosphere for many years. And they recently made an announcement that they are killing their Facebook page and be, they wrote a post that's really, um, you know, a very honest uh, appraisal of the fact that they think that they had spent so much time cultivating a community on their Facebook page. But as we know, Facebook's algorithm has changed dramatically um, in recent times. So it, it, your posts on your Facebook page don't get the level of engagement that they used to because they simply do not get seen. You know, mm. they get seen by something like 4% or whatever of your of your fans or followers. And unless, of course, you pay to play. So they're taking the dramatic step, and people think that's quite a statement, of um, just killing their Facebook page. So I'm wondering whether other brands and bloggers and, you know, authors are going to follow suit because we were told for so long that we need to keep our profile private and to make our Facebook page, you know, the the avenue with which we interact with people and, you know, people who aren't personal friends. Um, what are your thoughts on, on, on this dramatic move? Well, I think it's a really interesting move. Like, as you say, Copyblogger has been around a long time and they are leaders in this area. I think that with the kinds of numbers that they have... Um, I can see why they would be needing to think about where to focus their time and their money. Um, I think for most smaller players at this stage, Facebook is still where the people are. Like I know that they're focusing on G plus and things like that, but um, Copyblogger probably takes a lot of very savvy industry early adopters with it, whereas people like me, authors and, and other people like that, like, most of the real people in the world that are readers are, are still on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, they're not on G+. I'm, you know, like I'm over on G+, and um, I spend, you know, I don't spend a huge amount of time over there. I love the communities on G+. Like there's some fantastic communities over there. But just as a general sort of a um, place to talk and engage with people, it's still uh, a little bit like sort of, you know, firing an arrow down an empty hallway some days, I think. <laughs> Is what it feels like. So I think it is a big move. I think that it's possibly something that over time other people will follow. But I think at the moment, like I've always felt like the place that I really love to talk to people is on my blog Mm. and that on my website. And I think for any author or writer, that's the place that you've really got to focus. You've got to make sure that you've got a home base because that's the only place that you own. If you're building your whole Mm. profile on Facebook or your whole profile on Twitter, you're in big trouble, you know, down the track. Should the algorithms change? Should, you know, things are going to change. They're constantly changing. People may then also decide to completely leave that social media network, as copy bloggers doing, go somewhere else. And then where are you? You've got to start all over again. Yeah. So I think you need a home base. I think you probably need to sort of get an email list together. Um, and I sort of, I have a newsletter that I send out once a month and, and I really enjoy it. I love the fact that people will respond to it. They will reply and, you know, say something about what I've put in my newsletter and things like that. I, do, I really enjoy that. Mm. Um, so I like that sort of thing. Um, but I'm not leaving Facebook anytime soon because that's where most of the people I know are and they're not anywhere else. Yes. Simple as that. Yes. What about you? What do you think? Um, 
I think that that's definitely where people are, but it is concerning that if you put out a post on your Facebook page, it's seen by so few people. Yes. Um, so I know that some people, are, they're not shutting down their, they're not going as dramatic as shutting down their Facebook page. But what they're doing is instead of encouraging people to follow them their Facebook page, they're actually starting Facebook groups because you yeah. know with the group that what you post there is going to reach the members of the group. Yep. So that might be an alternative strategy. But then, of course, in a month, Facebook might change their rules altogether and you've got to start again. So yes. who knows, right? Exactly. That's why I think it's important to maintain your own little piece of the internet mm. with your website, your blog, whatever it is that you've got going on there. Moving on to another link that I found this week. It's um, it's from a blog called Netiquette IQ, as in etiquette on the net. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a um, it's a very interesting post called Plagiarism, Is It Wrong to Post from an Email? So it's by somebody called Adam Grant. And what he has said is that um, uh, he... F- he took ages to carefully craft an email which he sent out to, you know, many, many colleagues and associates because he was informing them, interestingly, about his book, Um, you know, because he wanted to tell his friends and colleagues and students, I believe he has, about the launch of his first book. So he crafted this email, as he should, um, with great care, sent it out, but then subsequently found that a couple of people who cut and paste some of his description of his book um, that he had written into their own emails and uh, sent them out to their network of friends and people. And he took great exception to that. Must be a genius email. He believes that it's... um, I think I want that email. (laughs) Exactly. He believes that that is plagiarism. So, I don't know. I mean, what are your thoughts on this? I think that – I think he's right. I think it is plagiarism to a degree. Like if you cut and paste someone else's words and pass them off as your own, mm-hmm. that's plagiarism yes. as far as I'm concerned. Yes. Whether or not you meant to do it, whether or not you thought about it, whatever, you know, like it's it's a – I don't understand why you do it. But anyway, like so let's just, you know, do it from that perspective. Well, well he said – Am he, I going to see somebody? He has a suggestion I, on that. He, he, he knows that he probably cut and paste the email – as a template and then decided to change it but then got lazy kind of thing. That's- yeah, well, that, and that's entirely possible. So um, I think it's a strange thing to do. I think if you're an author, you should be probably be able to come up with your own words about your own book, but that's that's just my opinion on that. I think where email goes a little bit strange is where, like I've seen it in a couple of the cases over the years with bloggers where um, they've received an email from somebody, over, you know, with regards to whatever, like either a criticism or a, it's a compl- you know, that, that someone has responded to them via email and they cut and paste that email and put it up on the internet with that person's oh, name on it yeah. without asking for permission to use the email. Yep. Now, that, that to me is an etiquette question. If you're going to use someone else's words in your story, for whatever reason, whether they're complimentary or not, you need to ask yep. first. Yeah. just to double-check that it's okay mm. um, because I have had over the years a couple of people um, 
that I've heard of, um, you know, within sort of my networks, are absolutely outraged that someone has taken their words and put them online. Because like, it was meant to, an email is not a broadcast, it's sent to you. Exactly. Um, and it's not necessarily meant for you to then whack it up on the internet for everyone to see. So, um, but as for Adam, yeah, I, look, I do think it's plagiarism. I don't understand why people can't write their own words about their own books. Um, but I don't th- know that he's going to be able to sue about it either, really. Yes, exactly. And, it, you know, when you are writing a personal email to somebody, it should remain personal. And just to be sure, for example, Seth Godin, and in the signature of every one of his emails, he has um, uh, he writes, this note is off the record, blogs and tweets too, unless we agree otherwise. Yeah, wow, okay. So that's probably, you know, a good... So he's obviously been burned a couple yes. of times by that yeah. to be, to put that in his email. Yeah, okay. So that's, yeah, well, that's 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 a good thing for us to talk about then. Well done. Mm, mm, mm. So what else is happening? What else is happening? Well, I, I don't know. What else is happening? <laughs> I think you had a link about the cultural icons, 50 cultural icons on their favourite books. Oh, I did you have one. You mentioned that to me the other I day. I did have one of that because, um, as you know, I've been having to um, respond to quite a few questionnaires over the last couple of weeks. Mm. Um, there's quite a few online interviews I've got coming up. And the one question that everybody asks me is, what's your favourite book? And I have to say it is the most difficult question in the entire world to answer because I don't understand how anyone has just one. (laughs) So I'm having this moment of what's my favourite book and, you know, trying to kind of bring the list down from 7,000 to, you know, manageable. Um, And up pops this list, uh, this uh, post on FlavourWire, 50 cultural icons on their favourite books. And it's, it's, you know, Bill Murray talking about Mark Twain. Apparently Huckleberry Finn is one of his favourite books, which, you know, I think he'd probably come up on a few lists. Yes. We've got Joseph Conrad. We, like there's just like there's 50 people there mm. who have managed to narrow down their entire reading life to one book. And I found that extraordinary. So what about you, Val? Do you have a favourite book? Can you Could you say what your favourite book was? I could not, um, not without thinking about it long and hard. And I agree that, you know, when I've been interviewed for things and people say things like, um, so if you could invite three people, living or dead, to have to, oh. to your dinner party, who would they be? Go. And it's like, you know what, if you wanted me to give you an intelligent answer, let me have to think about it because, you know, when I, when I do decide to invite people over for dinner, I think about that too. So I find that a little bit challenging as well when you, they, they ask you for lists of things or your, you know, favourite things like that and you end up actually just saying what you're reading at the moment or, or, or just what's top of mind, which is not necessarily your favourite book of all time or your favourite dinner no. party guest of all time. No. So I wish sometimes those people would give you a little bit of notice but you know what i think the message from that is i think that you need a li- you need to organize that in your like you need to have that ready to go yes you need to prepare yourself that at some point in the next year someone is going to ask you that question and you need to have it ready to go that's actually that's something i think you know like it um, I was contemplating putting together a little ebook for authors on how to be interviewed from my um, mm. experiences of interviewing them. And now that I'm actually being interviewed as well, I have quite a lot more to say on the subject. Yeah. <laughs> like, have your lists ready, people? 
have, have your dinner party gifts. Have your favourite book. Have your favourite children's book. <laughs> just like, oh, <laughs> yes, what? <laughs> yeah, all and, those things. And have your timelines ready because I'm often interviewing authors and I'll say, so when did the book get published or when did you get the book down? They go, oh, oh. 2000 and no, three, no, 12, no, oh, I could have been uh, 11, oh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no, I love that. that's my favourite, that's my favourite answer to everything, yeah, no. <laughs> so get your timelines right is also a good tip. <laughs> All right, what else have we got to talk about this week? Well, um, I thought we would move on to the world of blogs uh, because as we know, the world of blogging is gone nuts and um, you know in fact as we speak the winner of the best Australian blogs competition for this year Christina Sung from the Hungry Australian is off in Turkey and Abu Dhabi that's her prize from Uh Trafalgar and she's off doing a wonderful tour of um, Turkey you know visiting Istanbul and going to the Blue Mosque and you know looking at trying out a hammam and she's a food blogger so she'll be trying out the cuisines and she's into photography so I can't can't wait to see all the photos. Um, and, you know, never – five years ago – well, A, five years ago, there wasn't a West Australian blogs competition and bloggers wouldn't have these sorts of opportunities. And one thing that is really showing that is this new show on Foxtel. It's only been – it's only, you know, brand new. I think there's been one episode and thankfully it's only in half-hour bites. Um, <laughs> oh, thank, thankfully. <laughs> no, it's oh, good. Dear. Oh, it's all right. Um, it's interesting. <laughs> No, like it's good for half an hour. It's one of those things when you don't want to eat too much ice cream or you'll feel sick, you just want yeah, a little yeah, yeah. bite-sized snack. And it's called, imaginatively, Fashion Bloggers. Ooh. And it's about five Australian fashion bloggers and about their lives and what they do, basically. So, so you might be familiar with some of them. The Probably the one with the biggest profile is Kate Waterhouse. Mm. Um, there's also... Um, Oracle Fox, which is Amanda Shadforth. There's Margaret Zhang, which some people might know. Her blog is Shine by Three. Sarah Donaldson, Harper and Harley, which are the names she had reserved for her children, she says. And Zanita Whittington from Esperance in WA, and her blog is Zanita. And um, it's just really one of those you know, reality type shows where they show what they do and they, how some of them are going to Fashion Week in New York and they're involved in photo shoots and, you know, they pull clothes at PR places. So it's an interesting behind-the-scenes look at what happens in the world of fashion blogging. But it, it is a sort of thing where five years ago, A, some of these blogs didn't even exist and B, they these were the opportunities that were the domain of fashion editors of glossy magazines. Mm-hmm. And I... I I certainly know that there are some fashion editors of glossy magazines that have their noses out of joint that some of these bloggers have front row seats now oh, right. at, um, at uh, Fashion Week. And like any reality show, because this is what makes a good reality show, there's always the one, yeah, the characters you like and the ones that are insanely annoying. Um, so it's, it's interesting. I've only seen one episode. But um, the fact that there can actually be a show – on yeah. bloggers it's is fascinating. interesting in itself, yes. I just have to say they're having a much more glamorous life than I am. Uh, much more glamorous life. Clearly fashion blogging is what, what one needs to be doing because it's very different to author blogging and yeah. writing blogging and all the other kinds of blogging I do because I'm certainly not doing any of those things. I'm doing But I do get things. to talk to you every week, Val, so you know, <laughs> there's, there's always that. <laughs> there is that. 
Um, but anyway, that's a that's a show on Foxtel. So. Well, speaking of talking to people every week, the thing I do love most about this particular gig that I have here, which is not on Foxtel but is still fun, is that I get to do the um, an author interview. And this week I have spoken to Favel Parrott. Now, when I first spoke to her, I said, you're going to have to tell me how to pronounce your name because I was thinking it was very glamorously Favel Parrott or something like that. But it's not. Favel Parrott. Um, she has um, just released her first book, Past the Shallows, was extremely well released, uh, received and was listed for the Miles Franklin. Yes. And she has just brought out her second novel, When the Night Comes. Now, I have to say that I wasn't entirely sure how this was going to go because I thought that Favel might, uh, might be very, very, um, you know, literary because she does have a very high literary profile. And she's just the most awesome chick. I just loved her. So I hope that you guys really enjoy the interview. Fayville Parrott's first novel, Past the Shallows, was shortlisted for the Miles Franklin Literary Award in 2012 and also won the Dobby Literary Prize and Newcomer of the Year at the Australian Book Industry Awards. Most recently, she was awarded the Antarctic Arts Fellowship, allowing her to travel to Antarctica to complete research for her latest novel, When the Night Comes, which is now out and which has been received with open arms by critics and readers alike. So welcome, Fayville. Oh, thank you so much. So let's start with Past the Shallows, because that was your first. Was that the first novel you ever wrote? Yeah, it, it was. I mean, I take so long that, you know, um, it was the first novel I ever wrote. I didn't think it would be a novel. I just write, started writing sh- sort of short scenes. Right. And eventually I had enough that it turned into a novel. But um, And what, what made you, like, how did you come to write the book? What, what made you sort of sit down and start writing scenes? What were you doing at the time? Well, I was a post postman, and um, I, I loved right. that job. But I, I, I had this feeling that there was something more. And my brother, who's a sculptor, sort of would always say to me, "I, I know you used to want to be a writer when you were, um, you know, a teenager. Why don't you give it a go?" And um, I sort of started listening to him, and I applied for TAFE, so um, Professional Writing and Editing Diploma, right. and um, with a very sort of sketchy folio that I put together, and um, went, went from there, and I started just doing short stories, and um, I decided to take novel class, um, but thinking that I'd never be able to write a novel, and I started slowly, and that's where Past the Shallows first started, in those classes. Wow, at TAFE. Yeah. Fantastic. So where did it go from there? Like what was its path to publication? How did you go from taking classes to Hello, Miles Franklin? Yeah, (laughs) it was a long road. I um, I had some really great teachers, Um, one in particular, Janie Runchie, and she said to me when I had quite a – she said, look, how much of this have you got? This was sort of by my second year TAFE. And I said, I've got sort of – got quite a few scenes. And she said, I think this is – something you know I think that the voice is strong and she gave me a flyer for the Ashet uh, manuscript development program it's the Queensland Writer Centre run it as well oh, yes, um, yes. In, in combination with the publishers and you had to send in a, a whole first draft which I, I really didn't have and I sort of put the flyer away and I thought oh no I'd never get into anything like that there's no way but it kept it kept sort of um it was in the back of my mind and it kept bugging me. It was the kind of thing that kept me awake at night and I thought, 
you know what, I'm going to try. I'm going to try and get all of these scenes into some kind of first draft and send it off. And I think I had about two weeks and I, I did that. And it was, a, it was a real skeleton of the book. Right. I sent it off and I thought, well, I've done that. It's good. I've, um, you know, if you're going to be a writer, you've got to start applying for things. I, I knew I'd never get it. I just thought, good, I'm on the road. I'm starting to put my work out. That's good. Um, and I got the call. I was in the supermarket and I got the call that I um, got through. And I really, I just really was so shocked. I just couldn't, I, I, I was like, I think I said, are you sure? And they said, no, we're just joking. And I was like, what? Um, and so eight of us went up to uh, Queensland and we, it was like an, a sort of industry boot camp. And we had publishers from Ashet came to talk to us one-on-one. Um, we had an agent sort of talk to us about what agents do. A writer talked to us about what we can sort of expect if you ever get published and what happens after that. Um, and then we just um, wrote for like, or worked on our manuscripts for sort of five days. And it was wow. pretty intense. And we were all told, you know, no one's got a contract. This is really just to get to know you and you now have a um, contact in the publishing industry if you ever... Um, have anything you want to send through. So I thought, oh, well, that was great. And, um, you know, they'll never take my novel, so I won't even bother sending it. <laughs> but the publisher, Vanessa, rang me and she said, well, are you going to send it? And I said, oh, it, you know, it needs a lot of work. And she said, yeah, it needs a lot of work, so you send it to me when you're done. And um, I'll have a read and see. we'll see from there. So it took me another year to really get it right. And um, I sent it in and from there it was a long process and it nearly didn't get through and everyone knows it's just excruciating. It gets through one meeting and then it gets rejected at the next and then it, you know, um, it's a long process. So but I eventually got through. So how long, so from sort of like when you first started in your TAFE mm. classes with it to when it actually, you know, finally got, you, you got the, the nod and it was going to become a, an actual book. Yeah. How long did that process take? Like you were talking uh, a few years there, right? Yeah, so yeah, 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 three years, easy. Wow. It's hard to remember now, but, you know, I, I was working and studying and writing bits and so it's easily three years and it, it wasn't really until the last year that I worked very hard and I actually quit TAFE. I never finished the course, but I finished the book. I had real drive then to just yeah. put everything in. And how much, look, when you think back on that first draft that you sent off to the Ashet boot camp, so to speak, um, process, how much resemblance does that first draft bear to the actual final book? Do you remember? It's, it's there. The essence is there. So yeah. Harry and Miles are there, the characters. The place is there. All of the key bits are there, but it's very, um, yeah, emaciated. It's um, it's almost like a, um, you know, a summary, but with some feeling. Right. Um, but some of the key scenes are there. I mean, some never changed. Right. I just didn't know where they would go in the book at that point. So, right. um yeah, it, it's there. The essence of it is definitely there. I mean, it's interesting to read it now. There's a big box. When I finish a book, everything goes into this massive box. And yeah. It's all in there, all the drafts and all the corrections and everything, wow. all of the false starts, all of the scenes that didn't make it. Yeah. You lug those around with you for the rest of your life. Yeah, well, they're, they're in my um, writing room. And, um, yeah, I, I, 
it's kind of cool. I kind of like them. It would be great to one day have 10 boxes. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if that's possible, but it would yeah, be amazing. I'd, I'd like look at that and feel like, wow, that's a lot of work. That is a lot of work. So how did it feel when it was released and was suddenly in contention for major prizes? I mean, that must um, look, have been a, a surprise. It was definitely a surprise. I think I thought, well, I'd love to sell 2,000 novels and that would pay back my, you know, small advance and then I wouldn't be in debt to the publisher and maybe they'd take me on again. And so, um, but it, it went past that and then it, it kept getting into shortlisted for things, which was quite bizarre. So it would sort of fall away and then be shortlisted for something and then be, the sales would be back on and it just kept doing that for like two years. And um, so it just... You know, it was way beyond anything I ever imagined. But so you know, you're you've definitely what you've written is classified as you know literary fiction. You you didn't set out to write that, did you? You just basically started writing, and that's what came out. Absolutely, I don't know if any. Um, I you know I struggle with this whole um, classification of writing as if one's easier than the other, as if genre genre fiction's easier than. Literary fiction, all writing is hard. All novels are very hard. It takes a lot of time and a lot of work. And um, that this is just how I write. And, you know, it's the publishers that classify it, or the reviewers, actually, who classify it. Yeah. And I think, you know, my book, some, some editors thought it was YA, and I didn't have a problem with that. I read a lot of YA, and, you know, it, it, it doesn't mean it's a lesser um, form of writing. It's just as powerful. It's yeah. just, yeah. And in fact, more so sometimes. So it, yeah, it's up to them to classify. And yeah. um, um, I don't know how they work that out, but I, I yeah, I don't have a problem with that at all. It's um, yeah, as long as they keep buying them, that's fine. <laughs> well, maybe. And I mean, I think literary fiction probably sells less than anything, so you probably don't yeah. want that tag on your book. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I think it's interesting. I think we like things in little boxes, so people like to know what kind of book this is and what kind of book that is but yeah yeah so was there any sense of pressure in writing the follow-up to such a successful debut novel did um, you feel like yeah, you I had to feel perform? a little bit it's more time pressure because now knowing that that one took me so many years and now you sort of got a contract and some deadlines that of course are negotiable with my lovely publishers and I've negotiated them many times because I'm always late but um there were time pressure definitely. Um, but also I thought, you know, a lot of people really like this my first book and I kept thinking, Oh, they're gonna be disappointed because this isn't Pastor Shallows, this isn't Harry and Miles, this is something completely different. And I worried about that, but you have to try and put it aside, which is hard. Um, I think I, it's more self pressure. I put a lot of pressure on myself. I mean all artists do, I think. Yes. Um and that's you're your own worst enemy there because when you're under pressure, you don't work well. It's with creative work anyway, I think. Um, it sort of seizes. Yeah. It stops flowing. And um, But I eventually got there. I was sort of like six months late. and um, But my publishers were lovely. They just um, were very supportive and just kept moving the dates. Um, they could see that it was something and they know my process. And I, I would have loved to have done it quicker and written in order, but I did it the same. I just wrote oh, you scenes did. I and I didn't ask know. You that. Yeah. 
I wish I could write in, in order and, and have a plot line and I just, it doesn't work for me. I did try and I just, the writing was terrible and it didn't have any heart. Yeah. So I went back to what I know, which is following character, following energy and just writing scenes and not really knowing what the storyline is. So it's a very organic process, obviously, yeah, the way that absolutely. you write. Yeah, absolutely. It's organic, absolutely. And and where does it start? Like with, I know that with this one, you actually did go down to the Antarctic. So did this, did the idea for this come out of that trip or did that no, going down there help with the I, writing? Yeah, it, it, I applied with um, a bit of writing already done and a fairly good idea that I wanted to follow um, that one of my main characters actually is going to be this ship, um, a polar um, resupply vessel that was actually a real ship and she was called Nella Dan and she was a Danish resupply vessel and she worked for 26 years. So I had a strong historical Antarctic link and I applied for this with a fair bit of writing already done. But the reason I started writing about it is I found some photographs when I was cleaning up and they were of this ship and I used to have them on my bedroom wall when I was a kid and I was oh, obsessed yeah. with these Antarctic ships and I wanted to be a sailor. So all of that came flooding back and I just started writing that day. I sat on the floor and I was like, wow, you know, this has got real energy. I think this is something. And I thought I just followed that. And, yeah, I got to go to Antarctica with the Arts Fellowship, which is was just incredibly wonderful for my research because I got to work on a polar vessel. Yeah. Um, so I got to be my character in a way. I wake up, woke up every day as sort of a Danish man and, and worked at <laughs> sea. And it was wonderful. I just, um, I can't tell you how I just loved it. And I got to be a sailor. So I got to live out this wow. dream. So you've really ticked some boxes there. That you? I had as a kid. Yeah, yeah, I cried my eyes out when I got back. And I mean, part of me, some of the crew were like, well, look, why don't you apply and, and, and become a crew? And I was part of me would love to do that 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 was a really strong passion of mine as a kid and it, I, I love being at sea and I had that feeling you know what this would have been a good life too well you could have done that couldn't you do that and write your books as well you could just absolutely combine those two things I know you can be I, the sailing writer <laughs> I'd miss my dogs but uh. I would love being at sea so yeah so do you have are you um an author who has a lot of you know, have you, have you got notebooks where you write ideas down or are you like, what, what happens now? Are you yeah. ready for your next book? Look, I work from notebooks a lot and I have a writing group um, that is key to my work. So right. once a month we meet around a big table and we get to work and, and that is sort of things like writing exercises, no excuses. So it might be, okay, everyone, we say hello, we have a cup of tea and then we start work. And it's okay, the first topic is the shoes, 10 minutes, right. Right. And you just have to, often you'll go into character, often you'll be stuck, but you'd come up with something. And then we'll quickly just read it all out um, around the table. And it's fantastic because we've been doing this for like five years. Wow. So it breaks down the ego. You're not afraid to just read it out. Everybody's first draft is terrible. There's mistakes. <laughs> but there's something in it and everyone's voice is unique and you can get so much from other people's it spurs ideas. And honestly, half of my books, the beginnings of each scene are written in those um in those writing groups. Right, okay. So you'll like, take an essence of an idea from absolutely. something. Absolutely. So I have notebooks, I have hundreds of notebooks. I've got these 
very cheap blue notebooks that I bought um, from Officeworks for like five cents. I bought like 500 of them. <laughs> and I've got like, um, you know, boxes and boxes of them filled with very messy handwriting. My handwriting's terrible. See, I can't read my own handwriting. No, so I no can hardly read it. <laughs> I'm like, what does this say? But um, those notebooks are key and yeah. You know, I've got a notebook in my bag and it's completely empty. This book t- took everything and I'm absolutely, I've got nothing at the moment. And that's okay. I know it will come. I just, it's probably the longest I've been without writing anything. Right. So I am trying to read a lot and yeah. that helps. I mean, that's nurturing you um, and that brings ideas. Things like going to see a movie, going to see an um, exhibition. Yep. Uh, music, all of that stuff, getting all that nurturing creative stuff back because as artists I think we live in isolation when we're working but if we keep that isolation going we, we become empty. Yeah. So we've got to reconnect with other arts, other ideas, other creative things and that um, fills us up again and, and gives us, spurs us on and gives us new ideas. So something will come. Absolutely, from reading. I mean you you just... Sometimes you'll pick up a book and there's just this fantastic passage and you just be filled with this great feeling that, yes, you know, look at the magic that writing can do. Look at the feeling I'm feeling and you get that feeling like you're excited. I, I think I'd want to do this again. <laughs> <laughs> so what are your thoughts then on the idea? Because, you know, you're very, um, now that you've got, got your second book out, you've, you're very much part of the publishing industry, so to speak. What are your thoughts on the idea of this of the author platform? Do you take steps to build your profile as an author? I mean, unfortunately, I'd love to be like Cormac McCarthy and never do any public speaking and just hide away and write books and they'd sell. But unfortunately, I think that now marketing and touring and meeting people and um, all of that stuff is really part of it. There's yeah. some nice things like book clubs and books going to see bookshops um, that's lovely, school talks. Like when you've got small groups, we can actually interact with people. Yeah. Um, I get like pretty nervous. And I mean, most writers are not great public speakers. They're people that sort of sit on their own and are introverted. And, yeah. you know, so it takes a lot out of you, the touring. Yeah. And it's really hard to be creative when you're on the road and touring and doing, um, yeah, all of that. But you get to meet some great people and you get to speak to some great people and you do get ideas. So that's one good thing. So you are going out, you are doing a lot of festivals and author talks and that sort of stuff. You are Yeah, absolutely. I yeah. don't know if you guys know. Like, So when we're sort of pr- promoting, we get an author schedule and they can be quite intense. Like yesterday I had um, a event at a bookshop on the northern beaches of Sydney. Then we went to four bookshops and did a sort of author meet with the bookshop, signed some books. Um, and then I might have had a radio interview. And then that evening I did another event at Mossman Library. Wow. So it's all great. It's all great stuff. And you meet so many people, but it's exhausting. Yeah. So there's no time for writing. There's yeah. sort of, you get to the bed and just watch TV and fall asleep. <laughs> um, but it's fantastic because you meet a lot of great people. But I think... Um, so Facebook and Twitter and all of it is really part of the new age of promotion. Yep. Um, How much time do you put into that sort of stuff? Yeah, like um, when, you, uh, when you've got a new book out, I think you probably put more. So 
with my Facebook page, I like to just post photos of my Antarctic trip or different things like that. Mm -hmm. So just a, more of a photo thing, and I don't often say much. Yeah. Twitter and um, I'll also put my all my tour dates and stuff, like yeah. you can see me in Sydney or here. And um, Twitter, I um, Twitter sort of more funny things. I might. You know, I saw my book in the confectionery aisle at the airport, so I might just post that, you know, you can find me in the confectionery aisle or something. I don't know. Um, there's no pressure. We don't have to do it, but it just is um, part of it now. Yeah. And some of it's fun too, you know, downtime fun. Um, I think there's a lot of blogs we do now, so um, I get asked to do a lot of blogs and that's always great. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, and... Um, you know, or, or what are you reading? And I think good reads and those things, a lot of authors do that. I yeah. don't do that one, but yeah. um, that's great to see what other people are reading. And um, But, yeah, it's all time-consuming. So I think you've got to be careful and not flip down the slope of doing it all the time or you just never talk to your friends or, yeah, family yeah. and um, or go for a walk or anything. How much time do you, like, if you sort of, like, do you have a typical day where do you have, do you sort of get up in the morning and do an hour of writing? I mean, is there, is there like a routine for you? Yeah, I do have a routine. When I'm, when I'm, when you're not doing in a novel, yeah. No, I, um, I, I'm, I'm really good in the early morning. So I'll get up um, at six and leave and go to my writing studio because I find it very difficult to work at home. Right. Because I've just, I just faff around and there's too many distractions and I make excuses. Right. But when I go to my office, I know, okay, I'm going to work. Um, I'll try and do four hours, five hours, um, and then try and stop because once you're tired, you can sort of get really negative about your work. Yeah. So, you know, later on that day, I might read or something else, but I try and do a solid time in the morning. If I can capture that energy in the morning, I can get quite a lot done. Yeah. I used to be strict about, you know, I've got to do 2,000 words a day or whatever of a first draft. But now I know that word count is meaningless. Right. You can have days where you write 300 words and it's this key essence piece that means a lot. You've suddenly worked a lot of things out. Yeah. And you can have a day where you write 10,000 words and they're just nothing. They've got no feeling. They're terrible. Yeah. So I think it's just about sitting there and... A lot of writing is thinking, and that sounds so like we're just really lazy. But I mean, thinking in a space where you're alone, the phone's off, you're not on Facebook. I don't have the internet at my studio. So just focused, focused in the feeling, in the book, trying to work things out. Wow. Mm. Staring at the wall. Yeah, staring at the wall. I mean, <laughs> it's so weird. If people knew what writers, well, I mean, it's a crazy occupation. Oh, I remember we did a um, when we were doing our podcast in an earlier in an earlier episode. Val mentioned that there was a, some people that were going to write a novel on the internet. They were going to YouTube themselves writing a novel, oh and she was God. like, "What do you reckon about that?" I said, "I cannot think of anything more boring than watching somebody write." Like, really? Because as you say. It's so much of it is staring at the wall, staring at the ceiling, type, 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 type. You know, it's like, it's not exactly great physical. Oh, no. And I think you've got to try and keep the physical stuff happening because that helps too. So, I don't know, walking helps. If I'm stuck, walking's good. Yeah, I like to Just walk. I walk through the city and just look at things like I'm, yeah. it's like an alien. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've been in this isolation, but I just like to look in, at things. It's, it's nice. So has there been anything that's surprised you about being a published author? Oh, yeah, probably the publicity and um, 
the touring. I mean, I just had no idea about that. Um, the I think and um, the feeling of embarrassment when there's like public reviews. It's so weird because you've had this terrible feeling like you've been, like everyone that you know in the world has read this review, if it's maybe not such a good one, and you have this deep, like, oh, my God, I've exposed my soul and it's been, and I wish I could take it back. Yeah, yeah. Um, It only lasts for a short time, like a day or two, but um, it can be excruciating, that stuff. But you've um, so many positive ones. Do you you only remember the negative ones? (laughs) Yeah, everybody's like that. Look, I've had some great, I've had a really lovely ride with reviews and, you know, I'd never be able to be a review. It's a hard job. And, um, but it's just this, like, you're out there in the open and that that was surprising to me. It's like, wow, I can't take any of this back now. This is, and people are going to think all sorts of things about your work. And, it, you know, um, it can also have an effect on your family. Like, um, maybe people will think that in this new book, you know, my brother is the, is, um, you know, the, the the boy in the book, yeah. and he isn't. But you don't have to talk to him and say, look, people are going to think this is you, especially because it's the first person, and is it okay? You know, and if he'd say, if he thought it wasn't okay, then I wouldn't have, I can't publish it. Yeah, yeah, because so, everybody does assume that you're writing your own yeah. experience, don't they? Yeah, and you, you're in the books, absolutely, in a way, because it's your voice, yeah. and some of your experiences are definitely in there. Um. But yeah, and, and my mum, I had to talk to her and say, look, you know, and she she was laughing the other day because someone wrote a review and said, the mother in this book is clearly unhinged. <laughs> and she was like, well, and I said, mum, we know it's not you. And um, But those things can, you know, they have a ripple on effect. So it's hard for the people around you too. Yeah. And, um, you know, your real friends and everyone know you're still just the same and you're just, a dag and, and, you know, the same old favourable. Um, but some other people sort of think that you're somehow, I don't know, different. different. And, yeah. Interesting. Mm. All right. So what are your top three tips for writers then who are sort of starting out today? I think the number one is you've got to take yourself seriously. I think you've got to say, call yourself a writer, even if it's just to yourself. Yeah. So write it down. I'm a writer. I'm a writer. And so what does a writer do? They work. They yeah. do the work. And so two, I think it's just absolute persistence. Yeah. It's more than talent and it's more than luck. It's persistence. There's so many people that drop away after a couple of rejections. Yeah. But you get so many and for years and Persistence, persistence, persistence. You just keep going back yourself. Yeah. So I'd say three is back yourself. You've got to you've got to believe in yourself because no one else is going to until you've until you can sort of show that you're published. So you've got to believe in yourself absolutely, and it could be for years and years and years. Yeah, a long time. And that is a that's a real strength of character to do that. And so, it's either that or it's just sheer craziness, Fable. It's sheer craziness. <laughs> but no, there's a there's a creative drive that's making you do this. We're not doing it for money. You hardly make anything. And it's not for fame. It's There's something inside you that is wants to go through this excruciating process 
for years badly enough because you've got something to say. Yeah, that's so true. And it, it you can't shoot. That's chosen you in a way. You know, that's your gift, and you can use it or not use it, do it or not do it. That's up to you. But if you do it, back yourself hundred percent. Well. That's an excellent note to end our, our interview on. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. Oh, and, um, my pleasure. I'm sure our listeners will as well. Um, and good luck with the rest of all of those tours and speeches. Thank you so much. <laughs> all right. Thanks. Bye. That was a great interview, Al. I know. It was really fascinating. And I loved the fact that she was a, a postman. I love the fact <laughs> that she went to TAFE to do her creative writing. I just think it's, you know, to me it's just like it shows that if you've got a dream and you really want to do it, you can do it. And mm. I, th- I think that um, she just shows. And I think the fact that she talks like she writes, yes. I think is a really, really interesting thing. And I think it's something that other people should maybe think about too. Your voice is your own, you know? Yes. Anyway, well, I, I randomly stumbled into her writing studio in, in Melbourne. Did you? Um, yeah, how weird is that? <laughs> how, did, how did you randomly do that? <laughs> oh, I know, really strange. Um, I was actually writing a travel story about Melbourne, about some of the secret little, you know, hideaways and stuff like that. And there's this great building with lots of little nooks and crannies. And I was going there because there was this really cool store. And as it turned out, that store shared the space with um, Favelle's writing studio. <laughs> so awesome. it's a bit unusual, but anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So our web pick or our app this week is something I'm super keen to try out. I haven't yet, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to get into it. Um, but I've just found out about it, so I want to tell everyone. And it's called Grambler. That's G-R-A-M-B-L-R. And... Haven't you ever been at your PC and maybe your kids are playing with your phone or whatever and you just don't have your phone or but or you don't have the photo that's on your PC on your phone to Instagram and you just go, oh, I wish I could just Instagram from my desktop? Yeah, no, I don't have that. I don't use Instagram. <laughs> that was the point that you're meant to say, yeah, I feel like that all no, the time. No, really, I, you know, like I, I tried Instagram and I, it's, yeah, no. Anyway, keep going. Okay. I'm sure there's a million people out there listening right now that have exactly that problem. Who wish they could Instagram from their desktop because otherwise you've got to get the photo from your desktop, email it to your phone, save it onto your phone and then Instagram it. And who's going to do that right? Nobody. Yep, not me. So Grambler, which is for uh, Mac and PC, is an app which enables you to do just that. So I think that's particularly useful for people who have two Instagram accounts because I have had this question from people saying, you know, what do you do if you've got two Instagram accounts? Because you've got to keep on switching on your phone and it's Mm -hmm. quite a laborious process that you basically give up. So Mm -hmm. you either need two phones or you need to just decide on one Instagram account. And this also combats that problem. Right. I know you're obviously not as excited about it as I am, but I'm sure other people are. So (laughs) anyone who's listening who thinks this is exciting, please do tweet us and let us know. Well, let Val know if you're excited (laughs) by this. But I remember my biggest issue with Instagram has always been that I was such a late adopter to it that somebody else had the Altate handle. And then everybody was Instagramming me and Altating me and stuff, and that person got really upset. I'm really sorry, Altate, about the fact that, that that happened to you. Um, so I just kind of stopped. I don't I don't really, I'm not particularly, I don't like photos of myself, so I'm not going to do selfies. And there's only so many pictures of the puppy and the flowers that I can put up, really. So I just <laughs> tend not to do it. <laughs> 
Okay, so don't bother with Al on Instagram. Uh, I'm Alison Tate Ryder if you want to, you know, say hi to me, but I'm not there much, okay? But do tell us if you find find it interesting. And and for those of you who also have been giving us your reviews on iTunes and feedback, we really appreciate it. We We do. We got the most awesome one this week. I loved it. It basically said that our... Our podcast is from Karen underscore XY and it said that the, po- the podcast gets her through hump day Wednesday. Like, you know what? I feel so good about that. I always love to be useful and hump day can be so long. So she says, my favourite part of Wednesday, the day I download the podcast, is listening to Alan Val. The saddest part of Wednesday is when it ends. Oh, I just feel like, oh. oh, never thought I could learn and pick up so much just by osmosis and I believe I've incorporated some of their tips in my writing, mainly no excuses and schedule time to write. So go you, Karen. That's amazing. Yay, Karen, we love you. She's also looking forward to taking up one of the Writer's Centre courses, which is amazing. And you definitely should because they're fantastic. Yay, Karen, we love you more. Yeah, we love you the most. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so that brings us to the end of this week's podcast. What are you up to this coming week? Uh, well, I'm answering questionnaires. It's really funny that we had that conversation about the favourite books because I'm answering a questionnaire as we speak about my favourite book. Um, so I'll be doing that and basically I've just got a whole lot of work to do. Next week I'm heading up to Sydney. I've got um, a few days of school talks and some different things to do. So this week I'm just trying to kind of, you know, get on top of all the other stuff that needs doing, including the washing. What can I say? Oh, I and you? And you, Val? What are you doing? Well, apart from the washing um, <laughs> and the cleaning and right now I I have to clean up for the cleaners who are about to arrive. <laughs> Just sad. Okay, yep. Uh, I'm heading to Melbourne because I'm going to actually to the Business Chicks Lunch with Rachel Zoe, the stylist Rachel Zoe, and I'm hanging out with uh, a few of our wonderful graduates at the Australian Writers' Centre. So I'm keen to catch up with Michaela Fox and oh, Megan wow. Blanford and Josepha Pete and Lindy Alexander who are all going gangbusters in their new Fantastic. Hello, girls. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's it. So if you have a question you'd like us to um, uh, address, please email us at podcast at writerscentre.com.au or you can uh, find us on Twitter at uh, Al Tate. Al Tate. And Valerie Koo. Yep. And you can find the show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast. So until next week, we'll talk to you then. Fantastic. Bye. 